Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Don't be saying I love Obama and all that. No politics. This is my Uncle Skeet. I think politics is a bunch of bullshit. Put that on there. (laughs) We were drinking a few beers on the porch of my parents' house this summer. Skeet lives in a mobile home at the RV park my parents opened behind their house. His dogs, Sissy and Spanky, were running around with my pup Loretta. And no, I wasn't there to talk politics. My Uncle Skeet has lived a rough life. We always carried a super glue, alcohol, a bottle of vinegar in the truck when we went casing. Because <laughs> we was always getting in a fight in the bar there. Somebody would always get cut open, so we'd just super glue. <laughs> Come here, you'll be all right. <laughs> in case you didn't follow that, he's explaining how, in his younger days, he and his buddies would use super glue to patch someone up after a fight. At another point, he tells me how he used to pour vinegar on his wounds as a sort of cure-all. He calls it vinegarizing. <laughs> so anyway, I vinegarized and I was good the next day. Yeah, I mean, I was just, everything healed up the next day, like vinegarized. Yeah. Uncle Skeet and I have had our differences over the years, but we're family, and where I'm from, that counts for a lot. I, I believe I got the good Lord, and I believe I got my family. And without family, you ain't got shit. Because nobody outside this fence gives a shit. You know what I'm saying? Unless they want something from you, or unless you're giving them something. You understand what I'm saying? That's how I feel. Like most men who grew up around our hometown of Andrews, Uncle Skeet has made his living in the oil patch. And this was why we were sitting on the porch. I was there to talk oil. Andrews is a small town in the oil-rich region of West Texas known as the Permian Basin. And right now, the Permian Basin is in the midst of a historic oil boom. Over the last few years, it's become the most productive oil field in the country. By some measures, it's the biggest in the entire world. For folks out in the Permian, this is a big deal. I have a distinct childhood memory of driving home from Midland one day and overhearing my mom and dad talking quietly about how the pump jacks that lined the highway weren't moving. Even then, I knew that when those metal heads weren't bobbing up and down, something was wrong. So when I returned home to begin reporting this story, I expected everyone to be thrilled by the record levels of production happening today. Many of them were, but I discovered that for plenty of others, it was far more complicated. Uncle Skeet, for example, Despite promises of six-figure salaries, Skeet has told his son Timmy to stay away from the oil patch. I told him, man, if you get in the oil field, you come over here, I'll kick your butt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't even. That's like playing the lottery, dude. You're gonna make it, but when it quits, you're done. You're probably gonna be broke when it quits. 
because that's what everybody does they come down here and make this huge ass money and buy brand new cars brand new houses and all that and they got all them payments and then the next day the oil goes down <laughs> but i'm gonna tell you this the first one that loses is us the people working out there because they just shut it off and then you ain't got nothing I'm Christian Wallace, the staff writer at Texas Monthly, and this is Boomtown, a production of Texas Monthly and Imperative Entertainment. I hate it when the day goes so slow, waiting on the boss to say go. You can't howl at the moon from your motel room, but all I really want to do is just go home. For the next 10 episodes, I'll be your guide through a world that to most of y'all is probably completely foreign and weirdly familiar at the same time, the Permian Basin. Whether you know it or not, you've almost certainly heard about this place. This is where George H.W. Bush came to make his fortune as an old man, and where his son, George W., picked up that memorable accent. I call upon all nations to stop these terrorist killers. Now watch this drive. It's where Buzz Bissinger wrote Friday Night Lights, which inspired the movie and TV show about the now-famous Permian Panthers high school football team. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football! Let's go! And you've likely heard about the Permian in the news a lot lately, even if it's not mentioned specifically by name. We are now the number one energy producer in the world, and I'm not gonna lose that wealth on dreams, on windmills. You know, that whole, suddenly America's like the biggest oil producer, uh, that was me, people, I just want you to... <laughs> so, just say thank you, please. When you hear politicians talking about energy independence or fracking bans or the intensifying threats posed by climate change, the epicenter of that fossil fuel activity is right here in the Permian Basin. The Permian has become one of the most important swaths of land on Earth. The oil boom that's playing out there right now is reshaping the world's climate, economy, even our geopolitics. Yet few understand this place or the people who call it home. As I talked to more and more people across the region, I heard the same thing repeated over and over. I've never seen anything like this. Well, neither had I. In 2013, I spent a year working in the patch after college and though the region was fairly active back then, it wasn't anything like this. Over the course of this series, we're going to get to know the people of the Permian Basin. The winners and the losers. Cowboys, wildcatters, strippers, and billionaire entrepreneurs. We'll discover that even a booming economy comes at a price. And the solutions are more nuanced and challenging than you might think. In this first episode, we begin in Pecos, the southwestern hub of the Permian Basin. This is episode one, Highway to Hell. Yeah, and what's the, what's the say on the front? King Kong? King Kong, yeah, we call it King Kong. It's our biggest unit, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's just, it's pretty rigged up. This is Harvey Carrera. This truck's got, if you come this way, it's just yeah, low. Right. You can see um, we're rigged up for everything, breakthrough things, bars, um, straps, forks. Of course, I gotta use a ladder because this truck's a little big for me. <laughs> He's a tow truck driver for a company called B&B Wrecker in Pecos. He's giving my reporting partner, Leif Riegstad, a tour of the garage. 
I've spent some time there myself. The garage is huge, filled with grimy parts. Usually there's a couple of mechanics fiddling with a truck engine or smoking cigarettes. I mean, this is, this thing is a beast. <laughs> it gets yeah. it done. How much does it cost, you know? Uh, about a million dollars. Harvey is 30 years old. Tattoos run from his bald head down his neck and arms to the tops of his hands. He's built like an oil drum. He talks and moves with a kind of manic energy. Harvey's job is towing the dozen or so big rigs that get destroyed on the surrounding highways every week. He brings them back here to the salvage yard. And we'll show you some of our other trucks. We're getting new, new equipment just because of uh, the high demand for stuff. But I mean, it's just, I mean, you can see the bed is a lot longer than normal. Like, see this tow truck right here? I mean, look at the bed compared to this. Like I said, this is the oil field. Everything here is big or heavy or extra long. So we yeah. got to go with something bigger. So how long have you been doing this? Been doing this for about seven years, eight years now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I say, this right here, if a record driver, if you want to become, you know, uh, an advanced record driver at a fast pace, I would say join the Permian Basin. Because you ain't gonna see, I mean, as many wrecks as you do in the as you do in the Permian Basin. Yeah. If you want the experience, Permian Basin's where it's at. Yeah. Harvey does the bulk of his work along a 40-mile stretch of U.S. Highway 285, or as West Texans call it, Death Highway. That's Death Highway. Highway to hell. The Permian Basin, by the way, is huge, about the size of Utah, and much of it is barren. That used to be the case along US 285. It was the kind of quiet road you've heard about in country songs. Two lanes flanked by barbed wire and surrounded by prairie. Tumbleweeds and cattle loitered along the fence line. But now that it's become the nation's and perhaps the world's most critical artery for crude oil, it looks like a scene from Mad Max. 50,000 pound trucks barrel through day and night. Overworked drivers use amphetamines to stay awake, and the road is crumbling from overuse. No stretch of American asphalt is more dangerous. On one of my reporting trips, I took 285 north out of the small town of Pecos toward the drilling frenzy happening around the ghost town of Orla, near the New Mexico state line. The procession of trucks and big rigs that dwarfed my pickup was bumper to bumper coughing black exhaust and stirring up clouds of caliche dust so thick I had to turn on my wipers. About halfway there, a welder's truck flew past me and something, a metal rod best I could tell, came off the truck and hit my windshield, cracking it in half. But compared to many who traveled that stretch, I was lucky. Harvey sees far worse on an almost daily basis. Well, majority of people don't make it, you know. It's just, there's so many head-on collisions, but this is the car right here from that one last uh, that she passed away. It was a young lady. But uh, you see, it looks like, it, this really looks like a smashed up camp. This is just what it looked like right after the accident? Yeah, that's what it looked like after the accident. I mean, it's it's unrecognizable. It doesn't even look like a car yeah. almost. It's like... I mean, it's just, it's bad. And she was a uh, New Mexico State University. She was she was in college um, going um, towards El Paso. Yeah. But uh, she... Uh, she didn't, um, you know, I don't know what happened, what her situation was or what, but I mean, I mean, just, this is the outcome of it. 
I've, I mean, I've never seen a car like this yeah. after an accident. I mean, the, t the back tires are just totally bashed oh, yeah, up, they're, yeah, they're, into the... Yeah, it kind of looks like a, um, one of those little, uh, the transformer, where, you know, it's going about to transform. Yeah, it's looks, just folded on top of it yeah. itself. Yeah, that's what they look like, man. Out here is, I mean, there's no joke. Oh. Out here. That's terrifying. Yeah. When the Permian experiences a boom, there's no aspect of life that's untouched. And with the scale of this boom, that's true today more than ever. During last year's biannual oil show, a basic room at the Holiday Inn went for 550 bucks. When a Domino's Pizza opened in Pecos, it broke the chain's record for grand opening week sales, nearly 8,500 pizzas in seven days. Several school districts in the area began the year with over 100 teaching vacancies. And then there's the traffic. Since 2016, crashes in the Permian Basin are up 67%. Fatalities have nearly doubled. The region is home to less than 2% of the state's entire population, but it's responsible for over 12% of work-related traffic fatalities. Harvey's stories are gruesome. I mean, what was the worst one you ever had? I've had plenty of them. Um, I'd probably say the one on 285, you know, February or so. Um, this guy, he was, he was coming um, southbound on 285, and the Halliburton truck was, you know, going northbound. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt, of course, and he was passing um, to head on, um, head on traffic. Mm -hmm. So the Halliburton truck hit him. So he got ejected through his truck, he got ejected from his um, SUV, and somehow that truck was nosedived him back under his car and skid him all through the road. So whenever we, we had to pick up the car, his head, have you seen that movie Men in Black where that guy has that little head? His head looked like that. His brains and skulls and stuff were all over the, um, the road. Um, deputies were out there picking it up and stuff. And um, when I picked up the car to get the body out, his guts were all wrapped around and stuff. It was, it was pretty bad. Everything, there's a lot of stuff here that's bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have so many of these, but it seems like you remember almost all of them. Yeah, right? oh yeah, you remember, I mean, you don't forget them. Harvey goes on for a while like this. It's clear the job takes a toll. I mean, I, I don't know how you could see that stuff every day. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a squeamish guy, but like, yeah. just, I don't, I don't know. That's like too much almost. Yeah. I'll tell you, when my first fatality that I worked, I'm not gonna lie, you know, I, I, it, was, it was pretty bad for me. I, I threw up. It was a young kid. Uh, he, he rolled over. He was half his body was outside the car, and um, had to get close and you know help him out to get the body, recover the body. So we had to flip it back over just to get the body out. So we'll tie straps down the, the doors down or whatever, so that way the paperwork, um, whatever's in there, tries to, we try to keep it in there because sometimes the family, you know, it might be just a little piece of paper, but um, sometimes that means a lot to a family member. So we try to secure it, you know. And um, I had to get close one time to you know where his body was at, the blood and stuff. And my first one, I threw up. And after that, I kind of got used to it. But when like, I go home, I think about it, you know. And um, But it just, I mean, it, don't, it don't bother me. But, you know, I think about it. What irritates me the most or bothers me is, like, when the families come out here. When they come out here, they, they, they want to see the cars. And when they cry, I mean, like, that's where it hits the hardest, you know. The families of the dead. That's what gets Harvey the most. He brings this up several times. They often come to his shop to retrieve personal items from the vehicle and they almost always ask to see the wreckage. That's usually when the tears come. The scene stuff is just the, the drilling's rushing, you're just trying to get the road open, trying to get you know everything cleared. So it's just, um, it's, no, it's like a normal job. But when the family comes, I mean, that's a whole different story. That's when every tears and that's when everything's kind of real. 
Construction is underway to try and reduce the number of accidents on Death Highway. It's going to be a four-lane road soon. Harvey thinks that's only going to make the problem worse. Like I tell everybody, I mean, it's going to be back to the Wild West again. That four, that four lane is just giving people more encouragement to pass the other cars up because they got that other lane. But it's still like the same thing. You, there, there's little hills and you can't see what's on the other side and then it's too late. You're going to have head-ons. That's 285 is a lot of head-ons. Yeah, it's almost so, like they're, they're having more room to drive yeah, recklessly. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. So when they pull right now, the cones and the construction workers, it's preventing it. It's helping out a little bit. But once they pull that last cone out, it's going to be it's gonna be rock and roll again. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. One afternoon this summer, I stopped in at a barber shop in Pecos. I'd heard about it years ago on a radio show highlighting West Texas characters and places. Is it okay if I get you to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's uh, Lee Ryan. Lee Ryan. There's yeah. a Ryan's Barbershop. And where are we at? In Pecos, Texas. Pecos, Texas. A wonderful town. <laughs> Lee's shop isn't like other West Texas barbershops I've had my hair clipped in. There's a table set up next to Lee's barber chair. A few men with white hair and deep wrinkles were pushing around a pile of dominoes. Someone had brought in a box of donuts for whoever cared to have one. The walls were decorated with photos of patrons young and old. Lee split his time between the domino players and speaking Spanish with the man in his chair. Lee has lived in Pecos his whole life, and he's a great spokesman for the small town. Well, if you like the heat and you like the sun and you want a good tan, Man, you ain't gonna beat this place right here. You like a lot of water, wanna go a lot of swimming? Don't come here, because <laughs> we ain't got it. You can go to Red Bluff 30 miles away. But they say that Tipecus is the, what is it, what do they call it? The center spot, the best fishing spot in the state of Texas? Yeah, 600 miles any direction. You can go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in the center. <laughs> <laughs> So 600 miles in any direction, you'll find your fishing spot. Lee wasn't born with a passion for clipping hair. He worked at a nearby sulfur plant until it shut down. That's when the barber who used to cut his hair, a woman named Faye, gave him some advice. Well, I worked at a sulfur plant with these two gentlemen sitting right over here. Okay. Right, they worked there longer than me. I was there 20 years, and they were shutting it down. And the lady that used to cut my hair, she's passed on. She asked me one day, she said, well, what are you going to do when they shut it down? I said, well, uh, I don't know. She said, why don't you go to barber school? And I said, well, heck, I ain't never cut nobody's hair. And she, old Faye, was pretty blunt. She said, well, she said, uh, that's why you go to school, stupid. And I said, oh, okay. So uh, I went up there and went to barber school. Yeah. And went home and told my wife what I planned to do, and she laughed about it. And then figured I was going to do it, and that's what I did, man. Right. I wanted to be my own boss. and. Been doing it over 19 years now. Wow. One of the more talked about stories that's emerged from this boom was a Wall Street Journal article titled, In This Old Boomtown, Even a Barber Can Make $180,000. It's a reference to Headliner's Barbershop, which is based in Odessa, 
A few years back, the owner built a mobile barbershop that he could transport across the region and set up wherever demand was highest. Parked outside of the only grocery store in Pecos, patrons with more money than patients could pay a premium to skip the line. The owner claimed his barbers were clearing as much as $180,000 per year. But not all barbers are raking in that kind of cash. Have you heard about the uh, the mobile barber shop? In oh, yeah, yeah, right. I've heard about that, yeah. I guess there's like two of them now. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, they got in the trailer, yeah. yeah. So they say over there that they're clearing six figures. Yeah, well, I'm not doing that. that. Well, I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to. My mama said if you can't say something good, keep your mouth shut, so I'll yeah. just hush up on that one right there. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I'm not doing that, I'll tell you that right now. Right. But you know what? I come to work, I enjoy it. I have a lot of good friends. It's like a gentleman sitting down here visiting and stuff. Right. And we we solve the problems of the world or make some up or whatever, and we just go on, and life's great. The men at the Domino's table had grown quiet to listen in. Occasionally, they'd interject or laugh at Lee's replies. It's not every day a reporter shows up to break up their game. Yeah. We have a domino game going. If we get a break, of course, here <laughs> lately, the way things are, I've been staying pretty steady. Right. But there's usually somebody always come in, and they'll... They'll get a game going or they'll just sit down and visit or whatever. Right. Yes, sir. Uh, just like your typical barbershop, go in and get a haircut. No, 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 no. You, you don't have to come in here and just get a haircut. Yeah. You can just come in if you just need somewhere to yeah. cool off, let stress out, whatever. Right. Right. And so if you're at work and things are going bad, come in here and nobody's going to. Because like they say, what goes on in the barbershop stays in the barbershop. Right, right. It's kind of like Las Vegas in that way, I guess. Yeah, but sometimes... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're okay. <laughs> I, I've never been there. Don't want to go. But yes, sir, that's what they say. But that was the old saying, whatever happens in the barbershop stays in the barbershop. It's clear that Lee could be making a lot more money right now. But he's just not interested. He likes working his own hours and having a little time to chat with the men who stop by. Still, the world around him is changing. When I ask him about all the transformations he's seen with this boom, He's got a long list. More housing, more building, more people, yeah. more more lines. <laughs> more lines. <laughs> Used to you can walk into a store and get your stuff and be gone, but now yeah. everywhere you go, you're gonna wait in line. Right. Right. The traffic's outrageous. When I was younger, we we'd go to Carlsbad up in New Mexico uh-huh. on 285 out here north to get hay and stuff for our animals. And if you broke down, man, you just you were there. Because it was so desolate that the buzzers carried lunch sacks. That's how bad it was. And uh, yeah. so they, uh, but now, man, you'll get run over if you ain't careful. There's so much traffic out there. Yeah. And, it's, and that's the way it was. And, but that's what they call progress, I guess. Do you think it's better or worse out of all these, everything going on around here? At times it's great, and other times it's bad. But you know, it's uh, everybody needs a job. Yeah. And people, if anybody wants to work, now's the time to be working. You know, and if anybody ain't working right now, it's just because they don't want to work. Yeah, you get to miss in your little hometown, but still, you understand. Right. Having lived in Pecos his whole life, Lee understands the nature of booms and busts better than most. And though he isn't getting rich off this boom. In some ways, his refusal to upcharge clients is protecting him from the inevitable bust, much more than socking money away ever could. Many people will move on when the bust eventually comes, but Lee won't, 
and he understands what will keep his business going when the lean years return. But yes, sir, it's, it's a nice little place, nice little community. Got a bunch of nice, good people in it. And one thing about living in a small town is when things get bad, everybody comes together. Mm -hmm. Whether you know you or not, that's, that's always the best part about living in a small town. Right, right. And Pegasus is no different from there, anybody else. Shauna Granado was born and raised in Odessa, the blue-collar center of the Permian Basin. She stands out in this conservative area of West Texas. Her hair is almost always dyed a vibrant shade of pink or red or purple, and bright tattoos decorate both her arms. She's a painter and has an art studio in her home, which is where we sat and talked. It was July, and the air conditioner was working overtime. Shauna's been riding the region's wave of booms and busts for years, going back to when she was 19 and took a waitressing job at a place called the Pioneer Cafe. It was a good fit because I was young and a chick and most of the clientele are men. So, of course, you know, I made good money and they were entertained. The Pioneer was essentially a tin shack planted on a desolate stretch of highway some 25 miles northwest of Odessa. On the corner of nowhere in BFE, yeah. Everyone who spent time in that part of the patch knew the Pioneer Cafe at Turnbow Corner. I don't know, the, the history was cool. I learned a lot of things and old sayings, probably most of them that there's no sense in me saying because they'll have to be edited out because there's a bunch of oil-filled guys talking. It's true. Roughnecks could give sailors a run for their money. <laughs> but, oh, here's a good, here's a nice one. Like, you know, you'd be like, well, how are you, you know, how are you doing today? And they're like, oh, I'm finer than a frog hair split three ways, you know, and just little things like that. Or then there's like, it's hotter out here than a freshly f***ed fox in a forest fire, you know. There you go. Why that one stuck with me, I don't know, because there's just so many things for me to think about in that scenario. I was like, God, that's, that's too hot. The T-junction where the Pioneer was located got its name from Ma Turnbow, who opened the Pioneer in 1937 and lived for years in a one-room house behind it. She's just a sassy old lady who uh, started just cooking for, I guess, just the man camps and whatnot. And she worked there and she had her friends and family working for her and just slinging burgers to everybody, playing poker with them. The restaurant was never much to look at, but it was the only place serving hot meals and cold beer for miles. When Ma died in 1969, one of the waitresses took over the business. Eventually, that woman passed it down to one of her longtime servers, and so it went for years until Shauna, having worked there for nearly a decade, continued the tradition and bought out the business with her parents in 2010. It's actually up until my dad, it's always been owned by a woman, always. And so all the women who've worked there, the women I worked with and for, we've all just kind of had big mouths and big personalities because we're just one, one chick in a sea of 900 dudes, you know? <laughs> so the Pioneer opened at 6 a.m. The day crews came in hungry for breakfast while the graveyard tower stumbled in after their overnight shift. Tower, by the way, is a West Texas bastardization of tour, which is slang for a 12-hour shift. Then we had our drilling crews also, who um, they were mornings and nights. So if they were in there at seven, eating chicken fried steak and burgers and drinking beer, they probably just got off work. 
I witnessed a few of these early mornings and busy lunch hours while I was working in the oil field in 2013. Anytime I had work in the area, I'd go out of my way to stop at the Pioneer, sometimes for a bite, and other times just to sit with a mug of coffee, soaking in the atmosphere. The place was always packed. Oil rigs, to your electricians, to your welders, to your office men, salesmen, truckers. And that was one cool thing is we would just have people from all over the world, not just all over the country. That was pretty common, but they'd have translators and like two guys would speak English out of a table of like 10, you know, but they would just be real interested in all the stuff on the walls because they worked overseas for the same companies, you know. There were black and white photos on the walls tracing the history of the region back to the 30s. My favorite picture was one of Ma Turnbow playing a hand of poker with a group of men in tin hard hats and oil-stained shirts. The Pioneer Cafe weathered the ups and downs of the oil business for nearly eight decades. But everything changed when a downturn in oil prices abruptly deflated the cafe's business in 2014. That part of the patch just completely dried up. Yeah, lots of layoffs, lots of people forced into early retirement, like use it or lose it kind of thing, you know. And it's sad because these are people you see every single day of your life, you know, almost or at least five days out of the week. And um, you know them by name, you know their, their wives' names, their children's names, everything about these people. And, and they know you the same way. Shauna held on. She wasn't going to let the pioneer fail on her watch. But soon, she had to start laying off her staff as well. Eventually, she had to let her own sister go. We had to let people go who were like family, and we had to let people go who were actual family. And um, yeah, it was, it was rough. It came down to just Shauna and the cook. In April 2017, the Pioneer Cafe turned 80 years old. Shauna celebrated the milestone by hosting a party at the cafe. The few regulars who were still around came out to reminisce about the late night jam sessions and the countless card games. Six months later, she locked the doors to the Pioneer for the last time. She'd just missed the current boom. Shauna is 36 now and married with a 12-year-old son. She's working as a waitress at a little cafe outside of Midland. She still sees many of her old customers who are back to work now. She's glad that things have picked back up, but she's also well aware of the negative repercussions that come with the boom. I think even those who are making a ton of money, the price of living here is so outrageous that, I mean, they're making all that money and living in an RV, but that's just how it is, you know. In November of this year, the average monthly rent for a two-bedroom apartment in Odessa was $1,540, higher than in Austin, San Antonio, Houston, and Dallas. And it's not just rent that's gone up. Groceries and other basic goods have spiked as well. Ironically, a gallon of gas is more expensive in the Permian Basin than at pumps in other parts of the state. And I think that that gets really exhausting for those of us who have lived here our whole lives, you know. Um, it's not so much that we hate our city or we're not proud to be from here. I mean, we're Texan. What Texan isn't proud, you know? I mean, it's just from the dirty part <laughs> where people get their hands dirty, their cars dirty, you know? Like, that's just what it is here. 
Like so many West Texans, myself included, Shauna is proud to be from this scrubby, stinky patch of oil-rich dirt. But the whiplash of boom and bust takes its toll. I mean, honestly, our big plan now is to get out of Odessa. We just, you know, want to be able to go to the lake <laughs> or see a tree that isn't mesquite or something, you know, and maybe just walk down the street and listen to live music and see paintings and, you know, just something other than getting caliche blown in our eyes. One of the most jarring things to see in the Permian today is the sprawling man camps. In some places, it feels like an all-out invasion. Rows and rows of barrack-like trailers house thousands of itinerant workers across the region. West Texas man camps go back all the way to the booms of the 20s and 30s. No one knows how long a boom will last, and that makes folks hesitant to invest in something as expensive and permanent as a house. Plus, it's hard to find workers to build houses in the first place. They're all working in the patch. So man camps are cheaper and more convenient for a company employing a bunch of young men. This summer, I stayed at one of the man camps on the outskirts of Pecos. There, I met up with Peik Rossi, an old buddy of mine who happened to be living at the same man camp while he works in the oil patch. My name is Peik Rossi. I am 31 years old. I am from Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, so can you kind of describe where we are right now? at the Permian Lodge man camp and uh, I've been here since March. It's been two weeks here and then a week at home. So tomorrow will be my last day after my shift tomorrow I can go home. And how far is your drive from Pecos back home? It's just under six hours. And so whenever you're out here like that's just time your family for the most part you don't see them or? or... Well thank God for FaceTime <laughs> you know I mean it really I've always resisted technology, but that's one of those things that's like, man, I don't know if I could do this without it, because I get to see them every night. But it's not, you know, it's not the same, but it makes it easier. Pake's wife, Jessie, works as a school teacher in Fort Worth. Pake hates leaving his family six hours away to work on frack jobs in West Texas. His father had worked in the oil field in South Texas, and Pake knew at an early age that he didn't want to do the same. He wanted to be a songwriter. At 19, he left home and started picking guitar at dive bars along the Gulf Coast and the Texas Hill Country. That was how we met, at a honky-tonk at San Marcos called Cheatham Street Warehouse. We were young and full of big dreams, but life moved from under us. After Pig started a family with Jesse, he ended up going to the patch. It was the best job he could find. My wife and I, we had just had our first son. Okay. And I had only really played music. I mean, after I left my hometown, I welded a little bit, and then I just got tired of that, and I just started playing music. And so by the time my oldest son came around, I had about $2,000 to my name. And uh, <clears throat> my buddy worked in the oil field, and so I reached out to him, and he, and he hooked me up with a job. Pake was 26 when he first went to work in the patch. 26? Yeah. And did you, what did you start out doing? So I've only ever done flow back. Uh, hydraulic chokes kind of go hand in hand, kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, sorry, we can cut that out. I had a burp. That's all right. <laughs> For those who don't speak oil field, 
Flowback operators handle all the fluids that are flowing back out of an oil well at the end of a frack job. So when I'm in the field, I'm an early riser. I'm the kind of guy that I gotta have my little, like, little routine before I'm ready to face people. And so I'm usually up by about 3.15 when I'm working days. I go get my coffee. Sometimes I'll just make breakfast in my room. Drive to location. Sometimes it's 20 minutes away. Sometimes it's two hours away. So you go to the location and you work with two other guys all day long. And then you come home and you eat and you go to bed and you do it again. Like most of the folks who work in the Permian and live elsewhere, Paik has no plans to move Jesse and the boys to Pecos. There's a lot less to do. The school systems are already crowded, and besides, there's no place for them to live. And the risks that come along with living in the Permian simply aren't worth it. My rule on the highway is just always assume that the person beside you is trying to kill you. Because, I mean, they're crazy. Like, they're not familiar with their surroundings, and they're in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And so... And there's a lot of people on the road. Same, I have the same rule in the grocery store with a shopping cart. Just assume they're trying to kill you. <laughs> Most of Jesse's family is back in Fort Worth. The last thing Pink wants to do is drag his kids away from their grandparents and the familiarity of home. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It would be selfish, I think. Yeah. For me to have them up here with me would be selfish because they would be away from everybody else. Yeah, you know. totally. So tell me a little bit about your family. Well, so I'm married. I've been married for four years. I think that's right. <laughs> you want to do that again? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> um, I've got two sons. You know, I only get to see them. I only get to spend one week with them, you know. It's actually not bad because, like, yeah, I don't get to see them for two weeks, but I'm at home for a week. I get to spend all the time I want with them. Yeah. It's tough, but for now, I think it's worth it. Okay. It's July, and Pig has been in this man camp since March. We were sitting in my room, just a bed and a desk and linoleum floor. Pig's room is equally Spartan, but it has two beds, one for him and one for whoever's working the night shift. The two roommates never see each other. I asked Pig if he considers this a sort of home. I don't know. I don't know if anybody can... I mean, you're here for two-thirds of the year, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it kind of is your home, whether you want to admit it or not. Yeah. I don't know how many people claim it. Right. For now, Pake's life is a series of trade-offs. The time he spends in a man camp in Pecos and the time he spends with his family. The dollars he rakes in working flowback and the nights he could be on stage playing his songs. There's also the trade-off of what it means to provide for his family and the nature of his work, the cost of fracking itself. To be honest, a lot of guys in the patch don't care much about the climate or what the job is doing to the land. Paik does. One thing that I've been thinking about since you and I met up in Pecos for the rodeo, mm -hmm. We were talking about some of the bad rap that the oil field gets, you know, oil field trash, things yeah. like that. I was had a beer, yeah, and you said that's made out of oil, and you yeah. know, you pointed around the room, that's made out of oil. Yeah. Your tires are made out of oil. Like the world that we live in is petroleum. Made 
Yeah. It's all petroleum based. So how, how do you like, you're a creative person, you're a poet, you know, and you also come home with like oil underneath your fingernails. Yeah. And so how do you kind of square these two worlds? Like personally for you, for me, strictly speaking, I do struggle with it sometimes because you know, I'm kind of a, like, I love nature. Like I used to get annoyed, like when there'd be a really nice view, you know, I'm driving and there's this real scenic, pretty view. And then all of a sudden there's like a oil company pad right there, caliche and trucks. And it used to make me so mad and it still, it still does. It's, it's hard for me to balance it because I am kind of against ruining the environment. Not kind of, I am. I remember when I first started working for the company, I came straight out of being a traveling hippie songwriter to working in the oil field. And I remember looking down thinking, how many barrels is this? This is a hundred and, you know, 230 barrels, barrels of water coming out of the ground that's worthless. We're sending good water into the ground and it comes out worthless. And then a vacuum truck comes and sucks it up and takes it to a disposal well and sends it back into the ground. I don't know. I mean, it it's a hard balance because I'm here working to provide for my family, but you know, what kind of world is there gonna be in 30 years for my kids, you know? So it's a weird, it's a weird little, little conundrum. Yeah. So we can kind of wrap this up. Okay. Um, we've gone like 45 minutes. So yeah. It's and I'm great. starting to sweat. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but before we go, Pake picks up my guitar. He plays a song he's been working on about working in the patch and a dirty Pecos motel he stayed in before moving to the man camp. And for a moment, it feels like we're back at Cheatham Street. Next week, we're going back to 1923 and the Santa Rita Number 1, the well that put West Texas oil on the map. We'll recount the beginnings of rowdy boomtowns and the swaggering wildcatters whose influence would eventually lead all the way to the White House. Boomtown is a co-production of Imperative Entertainment and Texas Monthly. Executive producer is Jason Hope, produced and engineered by Brian Standifer, who also wrote the score. Boomtown is edited by J.K. Nickel and Megan Kreit, and co-reported by Leif Riegstad. Our theme song is written and performed by Paik Rossi. I'm your host and writer, Christian Wallace. Texas Monthly's parent company also owns interest in the midstream oil and gas industry, among other diversified investments. 
Our editorial judgments are made independently of any such investments. Don't forget to tell your friends about Boomtown and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show. Boomtown is a 10-episode series with new episodes available every Tuesday. Follow us on social media and visit texasmonthly.com boomtown for more on the story. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.